Well, I'd like to give you all a very warm welcome to Stevenson High Kirk here in North Ayrshire for our morning devotions. Well, over the next couple of weeks, we'll be uploading some of our older sermons, which we hope will then prepare us to return to our series on the Beatitudes. Well, can I also please take this opportunity to thank you all for your prayers and your kind messages, uh, as I hadn't been well this week. Well, it's lovely to be back. And as we now worship the Lord this morning, I pray that you may know the glorious presence of God to fill your heart and home. Well, the psalmist writes, The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He is enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth quake, the Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awe-inspiring name. He is holy. Well, let's worship the Lord together. Be 
Well, let's unite our hearts as we pray together. Let's pray. O oh, our loving Heavenly Father, how we worship and adore you. For you are the covenant-keeping God, the God who keeps promise from generation to generation. For you have promised to go before us, to be with us, to never leave us nor forsake us. Therefore, Lord, we come boldly to your throne of grace, relying upon your mercy and love. In this time of worship, as we bring our praise and offer our prayers, oh, we do give thanks that we can take shelter and find refuge under your wings where we may find your promised rest. Rest from the storms of disappointment and discouragement, from the storms of frustration and fear. O oh Lord, grant peace and that sweet comfort of your Holy Spirit. For Lord, often the strong winds of sin and sorrow and pain sweep across our hearts and our lives. Daily our sins overwhelm us and bring us down. And so, Lord, as we run into your presence here this morning, oh, forgive us, cleanse us afresh, purify our hearts and lift us up. Oh, flood our souls with your over overwhelming presence and cast out all fear with the precious love of Jesus. Lord, we do give thanks this day that there is power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb and there is power in the name of Jesus. And so as we run to you this morning, Jesus, we praise you that you are our strong tower Lord, in your presence we find safety and comfort. But more, oh, that you would fill us now with your Holy Spirit. May we experience such a baptism of love where we would be empowered and strengthened to live for your glory alone. And as we pray in the powerful name of Jesus, Lord, we lift our hearts to you as we share in the Lord's Prayer, praying together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, we take our Bible reading from Matthew's Gospel in chapter 4. And there at verse 12. And so we'll read from verse 12 through to verse 17. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison... He returned to Galilee, 
Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Amen. And may the Lord bless us the reading of his precious word. Well, as we return to our reading there in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 4, at verse 12 through to 17, I want us to just remind ourselves of what Matthew sees in Jesus, in the person of Christ. He sees Jesus as the fulfillment of all the scriptures, the, the Old Testament scriptures. He sees in Christ the sacrificial son of Abraham, the royal son of David, the messianic king who is to come. He sees a new Moses, a greater than Moses. He sees a greater Elisha. He also sees Isaiah's servant, Emmanuel, God with us. Yes, for Matthew, here is Emmanuel, God in human flesh. So yes, we see what Matthew saw in the person of Christ, but we also notice what Matthew sees in the actions of Jesus. He came to do all that Adam failed to do. He came to do all that Moses and God's people failed to do in the wilderness. He came to do all that Israel could not do in exile. Here Jesus came fully obeying his Father, fully obeying the commands of God. He came to fulfill all that the priests and the prophets and the kings pointed to. Here Jesus comes, fully obeying his Father through the rivers of baptism. He's victorious over Satan there in the temptation. And so we see Jesus undoing the curse of the garden. But we also notice what we don't see in Matthew. Between verse 11 and verse 12, I want you to notice that a year has passed. A year has passed. But all the other gospel writers fill in the gaps for us, especially John's gospel. After Jesus was tempted, he goes back to the Jordan River there. And there he's declared the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then he calls a small group of his disciples. They go to the wedding of Cana. You'll read that in John chapter 2. And then we're told that he goes to Jerusalem for the Passover. And there in Jerusalem, he cleanses the temple. He meets with Nicodemus. And then he goes out to the Judean countryside. And there he's teaching and his disciples are baptizing. There along with John. He's not in competition. 
No, John and Jesus, their ministries parallel each other. But as John told his disciples, he must decrease while Jesus must increase. But before he goes back to Galilee, he goes through Samaria. And we read there of the account of the woman at the well, and then the city that came out to see Christ, and the many who were transformed in their lives. Oh, they had seen the light. And so now Jesus returns to Galilee. There an official son is healed. And then he goes to Nazareth, his home. And as he goes home to Nazareth, we're told that he's totally rejected. A prophet without honour is in his own hometown. And of course, this was true of Jesus there in Nazareth. He was rejected. After being in the synagogue there, opening up the prophecy of Isaiah, in their hearing, oh, they heard the word of God, that the sovereign Lord, the spirit of the sovereign Lord was upon him. And he's now come to preach good news, the good news of the kingdom. And there he's rejected. They almost throw him over a cliff. They want to kill him. And so he leaves Nazareth. And as he leaves Nazareth, he hears that John the Baptist is now imprisoned. And so he now comes to Capernaum. And this is where we now come in the Gospel of Matthew. After the temptation, we now read of uh, Matthew goes straight now to Capernaum. And this is now the moment we're at. And so why Capernaum? Why does Jesus make his home in Capernaum of all places? And so let's consider the place, Capernaum. It was situated there in the north of the Sea of Galilee, there in Galilee of the Gentiles. It was a large Jewish community surrounded by Gentile towns. Well, it was the city of the prophet Nahum. This is where the prophet Nahum came from. Well, isn't it lovely that 700 years earlier, in the prophecy of Nahum, in chapter 1, at verse 15, we read, Look there on the mountains, the feet of the one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Oh, the prophet Nahum declared that one will come who will proclaim the good news of peace. The prophet of mercy himself, he came from Capernaum, and so how appropriate that Jesus would make his home now in Capernaum. Well, what an ideal place to fulfill the Great Commission when you've got this large Jewish community with Gentile cities around about you. Oh, what a place to go from there into all nations, making disciples. Well, scholars give us many different reasons why Jesus came to Capernaum. Yes, it could well be that there was such a large population. It could be that the great network of roads that were in this area. And there, Capernaum was a large harbour city. And so you could cross the Sea of Galilee quickly. But here, 
in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 9 at verse 1, I love how Jesus refers to Capernaum as his own town. It's his own place. It's the place that he had such a heart for. Well, we may well ask so many questions in regards to Capernaum. Why Capernaum? Well, isn't it amazing that actually Matthew himself tells us the reason why Jesus came to Capernaum. It was in order to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. Right through the Gospel of Matthew, you will notice time and time again how Jesus came to fulfill the Scriptures. He, he is the fulfillment of the prophets, the priests and the kings. Jesus is the great prophet, priest and king himself. And he embodies the scriptures. Jesus, oh, he doesn't just fulfill the scriptures, he obeys them too. His heart is his father's will, his father's plan, his father's purpose. He wants to obey his father. And so Matthew highlights that, yes, he went through the baptism there in the Jordan. Why? Because he was obeying his father. Why did he go into the wilderness to be tempted in order to fulfill the scriptures and that he would obey his father? And so now as we see Jesus coming to Capernaum, why was he going to Capernaum? To fulfill the scriptures. He was obeying his father. And so here now, let's consider the prophecy. So what is the prophecy of Isaiah that Matthew is now referring to? Well, Matthew's already alluded to chapter 7 of Isaiah, that the virgin will conceive. He's also referred to Isaiah chapter 11, the fruitful branch. And also in Isaiah 40, in verses 1 to 9, preparing the way and making straight the roads, for God is coming to Israel. God is coming. And so now Matthew considers Isaiah chapter 9. There in verses 1 and 2. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future he will honour Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Oh, here's Matthew now reminding us that Christ fulfills Isaiah chapter 9. He is the light that has dawned. So when we think of the dawn, we think of the night being ended that the darkness is now over. It's the beginning of a new day. And through the scriptures, the dawn was also a symbol of God's blessing. Well, the prophet goes on to tell us that this great light that will dawn, he will also be a child born. He will be a son given. The government, the kingdom will be on his shoulders.
And he will be wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. The great light that is going to dawn upon the land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be a child. He will be one who will come into true sonship. He will be a son given for us, a child born for us, and he will usher in the kingdom of God. The government will be on his shoulders. And that's what Matthew grasps. Oh, he sees it. He sees the prophecy of Isaiah. What a picture. A child, a son, a king who will bring upon his shoulders the kingdom of God. Yes, he will be wonderful counsellor, mighty God. He will be everlasting father, prince of peace, and he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. The prophets in the Old Testament, yes, they saw the kingdom of God and the coming king. Isaiah saw him. Oh, they couldn't fully grasp the whole idea of a king being born a baby. One who would come into true sonship. They didn't fully understand even the kingdom. Through the Old Testament, you get this idea that the kingdom just happens all at once. It's like one mountain peak described in the Old Testament, but we notice that it would come in two phases. The kingdom would come now, but not yet. It is already and not yet. And that's how Matthew shows us the kingdom. We see the first fruits, but oh, what a day when the fullness of the harvest comes. Yes, we can taste and see that the Lord is good. His kingdom has come. The power of the kingdom is in our midst. But it's yet to be consummated. Oh, there's going to be such a fullness of the kingdom that we haven't tasted yet. Such a fullness. Yes, we are seeing the first fruits of the harvest. But oh, when that great harvest comes in at the end of time. And when the kingdom of God is consummated and we shall be forever with the Lord. How wonderful. And so we now ponder the question. So what's the purpose of the prophecy? For Matthew, the prophecy points to Jesus himself. He's telling us God has come. Jesus is God in human flesh. The king has arrived. The messianic king is here. He's Jesus. And he's come to preach the good news of the kingdom. He's come to preach good news. Jesus, the messianic king of Israel. For Matthew, the kingdom isn't a place. It's the rule, the reign, and the authority of the king. And so Jesus, remember how Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. 
Well, Jesus is about to begin his ministry. And we're now going to see such a display of the kingdom. Yes. Yes, we're going to see his rule, his reign, his, his authority. His authority over demons, over sickness. We're going to see his authority over creation. We're going to see countless lives responding to the good news and the kingdom of God. We're told that through Matthew's gospel, we're going to meet those living in depravity, in wickedness, in immorality, in bitterness, in darkness. Yes, we're going to meet the blind, the lame, the sick. Those living in a graveyard. There, under the shadow of death. We're going to meet publicans. We're going to meet prostitutes. We're going to meet fishermen. We're going to meet the despised, the rejected, the weak. We're going to meet the Jew and the Gentile, the slave and the free. Jesus came into this world for sinners. He came for the worst. He came for the weak and the sick. Well, just as we close together this morning, can I ask the question, are you living in darkness? Have you been living in a dark place? In despair, in distress, in sorrow? Notice how Matthew, he talks here of Isaiah's prophecy as people sitting in darkness. The prophecy in Isaiah itself talks about walking in darkness, but here Matthew uses the word sitting, that they were sitting in darkness. It gives you such a picture of hopelessness where people have just given up. Yes, they've been walking in darkness, but now they're just sitting and settling in that place. It's a place of despair, a place of hopelessness. Have you known that place? It may be today that there's a life here. Maybe you're listening online. Or maybe you're here this morning and you know what it is to be in that place of darkness, to be in that place of hopelessness. Oh, can I encourage you this morning? Oh, there is hope here today. For we have our hope in the light of Christ himself. Jesus, the light of the world, is here. And there is hope for you and for me. In his light there is life. Oh, will you come and see the king in all his beauty? In Micah chapter 7 at verse 8, we're told, Though I sit in darkness, he shall be my light. Will you respond to the light? Oh, will you turn away from all the darkness, from all the bitterness, from all the immorality, from all the wickedness? from the darkness of this world, oh, will you repent? Will you turn and look at him? Will you turn your eyes upon Jesus? Will you look full in his wonderful face? Oh, that the light of Christ would bless you and lift your heart. Oh, that you would walk in his light and in his delight. Oh, that you would sit under his smile here this morning. 
And will you follow him? Will you follow him as you walk in the light? Oh, may the Lord bless you and encourage you. And so let's pray together. Let us unite our hearts in prayer. Let us pray. Our gracious and mighty God, so often we feel life becomes so routine. We get back into the busyness of things, daily chores, at home, at work, at school. We get so easily distracted and find our hearts being consumed with the things of the world. Therefore, we ask that you would make your presence known to us. Lord, you often reveal your presence through a kind word or a loving act, the beauty of the world around, or peace through the people we meet. All these are from your hand of mercy and grace. Grant us such a sensitivity to the power and work of your Holy Spirit. Lead us and guide into things that are true and real, pure and lovely. Lead us into the depth of the love of Christ. Lord Jesus, as we pray for others, we especially pray for those close to our hearts. Be with those who feel so helpless, so lonely and so empty. Fill them with your overwhelming love and compassion. For those who have little joy in life, fill them with joy unspeakable, full of glory. For those whose routine is so rigid that anything out of the ordinary is challenging and frightening, help them in their daily routines to find all things new in Christ. In your tender mercies, may we experience a deep place of rest. In all the work that demands our attention, may we find your healing hands. For you are our carer, our healer, and our sustainer. And in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.
mercy and peace from God our Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, be with you now and forevermore.